What if we got together and just donated a ton of money and food to the food bank? That would be good for the world. It would yeah. feed hungry people. Is it socialism? And I think that's a debate that we're trying to have more and more in the organization. Would that be socialism? I personally don't think so. Um, okay, why? Because I don't think it's challenging the system. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. It's fucking lit. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking with my good friend Allison Raybar, former roommate, also a socialist, probably the person I know who is the most culturally literate, more so than DeAndre, more than Austin, probably like any of anyone I know, no. <laughs> in sharp contrast to myself. She's really, really on top of her Twitter game. Like you do not understand. <laughs> I do. So, Allison, why don't you just tell the audience whatever you want them to know about yourself? So, first and foremost, we used to live together. That's how I would intro myself, Isabel's former roommate. Um, I've always been, you know, like a left-leaning person. For a long time, I described myself as like a Democrat or a progressive or an activist. I got into activism, you know, in high school and in college on our campus. And in February 2017, after Donald Trump was inaugurated... Not after the election, like many people did. I joined Democratic Socialists of America. So for a little under two years, I have been learning how to organize and trying to like advance socialism and also just engage and struggle with the working class um, to, to try and make the, the world better. When did you become aware of or like when did you sort of like catch an affinity for socialism? So my dad growing up, was what I'd call a Goldwater Republican. He was like mm. a 1960s Republican. Big, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, yeah. I used to work in a factory kind of guy. <laughs> so whenever I had ideas about, like, people shouldn't be hungry, people should be in homes, people should, uh, we should pay for things for yeah. people, he, he would like, call that socialist in, like, a really negative way. <laughs> so I just, like, figured that was a good thing. But I wouldn't say I really learned what socialism was until... I guess like when I got to college, not like through anything in college, but I just met more people who identified that way. Mm -hmm. And I like learned what it meant more than like, I want people to not suffer. Yeah. I think that like, yeah, similarly for me, I became aware of the term in high school and also had similar experiences of like Republicans in the South. I grew up in the South and, and saying things like, yeah, that's socialist. I'm like, well, then I guess I'm a socialist because I think that's dope. Yeah, like I think that's a good thing, sure. <laughs> um, but I knew, no I knew nothing about what it actually meant and didn't, I mean, in college I knew a little bit more, but still didn't know that much. Really, I've just been, I've been doing a lot of like learning recently. Yeah, I still would not call myself like an expert in what socialism is. Mm -hmm. Also because like no one really agrees about what socialism yeah. is. Like there's people who would say I am not a socialist. There's other people who I would say are not socialists, but we all call ourselves that I think it's similar to like when I started calling myself a feminist at a young yeah, age yeah, yeah. and I was like I think women are good like I'm gonna go for that and I like read a lot of stuff on the internet yeah. and then like that idea has changed a lot over the last 10 years mm -hmm. about what I think feminism is and I think like my idea of socialism is probably gonna keep changing cool so you hear about it in high school you learn more about it in college what brings you to join DSA great question so I think a lot of people have like values right like we all have values like you have like things you want to happen mm -hmm. Isabel has things you want to happen I have things I want to happen like we all sort of like have an idea of how the world should be and the only way I sort of like knew how to make that happen was like voting 
Like I'd pick the politician who's closest to my values. Right. I care about abortion. I care about gay marriage. I care about these things. So I'm gonna like vote for the Democrat and like that's how I change the world. And I think as I got older and saw more and more elections, I was like, oh, that didn't really work. <laughs> like <laughs> I voted for Hillary Clinton and I went to Pennsylvania to like knock doors for her. And I like felt really strongly about these things. And then the election happened and I didn't want to like wait four years to like do it again or even wait like two years to do it again. Right. So I tried to find the group of people that I thought were like doing something in the interim. And DSA was like an, a top Google result <laughs> for that. And I'd like heard a lot about them during the primary and after the election, they were at the big inauguration protests. Mm -hmm. I felt like I wanted to do something. So you were not super like into Bernie in the, like during the 2016 <laughs> No, <laughs> I didn't vote for Bernie. I didn't vote for him in the uh -huh. primary or the Would general. Would you vote for him now? Yeah, I've since swung around to being like, Bernie's got to earn my vote. Like, <laughs> I don't think he's left enough, <laughs> which I think is a really common phenomenon in DSA. Heard. Is there any candidate that is left enough for you? Because if Bernie's not left enough. I think it's more of a question of like, as you learn more about how the world works, there's just like not enough that the president can do. Yeah. First of all, like the president could like stop yeah. deporting people. And yeah. that's like something I want to happen day one. Right. Yeah. The president can pass laws. But so much of that is not enough to solve all of our problems. Yeah, like the system's fucked. Yeah. The system's bad. We have to fix the system. So like voting, it's like I'm going to put the least worst person in charge. Mm -hmm. And then like on top of that, then we're going to like dismantle how housing works or dismantle the healthcare system works. Right. And it would be cool to have someone who wasn't like actively opposing that. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we talk about some of the stuff that you've been doing with DSA, um, you know, Stomp Out Slumlord. Just tell us a little bit about what that has been looking like. Yeah. So I'll give like the spiel about what DSA is. DSA is a socialist organization with chapters in, I think, every state in America. So it's a national organization. You know, like there's, I don't know, six or seven staffers, not a ton. Um, and then you, you do things in your city. Like you go to meetings and you uh, organize or meet up or learn together. So in D.C., we have around 2,000 members that covers both the metro, like the actual city of D.C., the district and parts of Northern Virginia and parts of Montgomery County. So we have about 2,000 members in the DMV area. And stuff that our chapter does includes, you know, like electoral work. We have people who want to campaign and like get Bernie elected and that's their big thing. And I got really involved because this new part of DSA was founded called Stomp Out Slumlords. It was a couple people in DC who saw the rates of eviction in DC were really high, knew that they shouldn't be that high, and tried to figure out how to stop all those evictions from happening and slow it down. So from what I have heard, DC is supposedly way better on like housing and being pro-tenant than other places. Is that actually true? Yeah. So housing laws vary from state to state and city to city. Yeah. But DC is a place with very strong tenant protections. Mm -hmm. You can't be evicted without a reason. Yeah. Without not paying your rent or without violating the lease. You have all these protections, but in practice, you know, like the law is good, but what actually happens yeah. is different. Wait, so, but why is that? Is it because, like, the landlord lobby is not as strong? Like, why is it more pro-tenant than other places? That's a good question. So a lot of these laws were passed in the 1970s after a lot of, like, radical tenant organizers who were, like, Maoists mm -hmm. and communists and members of the Black Panther Party, mm -hmm. like, advocated for certain protections that then got passed into legislation. Mm -hmm. So D.C. is actually the first city that ever had rent control. In mm -hmm. 1919, it was passed because the government needed all these people to work in D.C., and landlords were jacking up the rent so people could not afford to move here and work for the government. So the federal, so D.C. stepped in and implemented rent control. Mm -hmm. But others have been responses to like 
mostly black organizing in D.C. And the legislature has responded to that kind of pressure. Right. So do you guys do any kind of like trying to get legislation passed at all? And like, if so, what what kind of legislation are you guys? So for the first two years, Stomp Out Stomp Words was really focused on how do we use the laws we already have? Like we have all these protections, but tenants don't know about them. Mm -hmm. Landlords don't care and their lawyers will like illegally evict you. So the whole project was focused on like pushing tenants to get lawyers and go to court because 26% of tenants never show up to their eviction court date. Yeah. So what's the point of having a trial if you don't show up? Mm -hmm. So that was all modeled around. We've been doing that for two years. We started organizing buildings, not just around eviction, but we would like form tenants associations in buildings and work with tenants to make changes like repairs getting made, rules being changed, back pay if you are being compensated if they're overcharging you for water or trash or other stuff. And now the product's been going on for a while. We're sort of doing our first legislative campaign as part of a group called Reclaim Rent Control. Mm -hmm. So that's all these organizations in the city. Unions, like legal offices, law firms, um, other people all got together. There's like 28 orgs as a part of it now. And we're trying to extend the rent control laws we already have in D.C. Mm -hmm. and expand them to cover more buildings. Do you all do any sort of like legal advocacy or legal representation or do you you stay away from that? No. So DSA is really focused on trying to find like how can we activate people in communities to do this kind of work outside of the court system or outside of just voting. Yeah. Part of that is the fact that like DC DSA is a very high percentage of lawyers, probably higher than other cities (laughs) because of who the city is. Mm -hmm. But um, we don't want to just like go through the system again. We're trying to like break people out of the system and show people that you don't just have to follow the rules all the time to make change. Nice. Um, Yeah, we do refer people to legal organizations if, you know, people are being evicted, but we're really focused on like advocacy Mm -hmm. because we don't think the court system works. How much of your time do you spend doing DSA related things? I used to spend probably four or five nights a week doing wow. DSA stuff, which was a lot. And I burned out really quickly. Yeah. So now I probably do two to three nights a week. Mm-hmm. So it's not a full-time job. Some people definitely do 40 hours a week. I would say I do like 15 to 20. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I'm trying to do now is because I'm moving to New York next year. Yeah. Um, and because I've learned a lot, I'm trying to make sure that, you know, if I ever get hit by a bus or if I move, that the work doesn't stop. I think DSA should both be like an organizing place where people do really cool work and stop evictions and get people elected. But I also think it's really important for us to like teach people how to organize. Yeah. We only have 35,000 members, give or take. I don't know what the final count is. And we should be teaching people like how to make change in every city and not just like being Mm -hmm. a couple people doing that kind of change. Yeah, so you said that there's like around 2,000 members in the DMV area. Yeah. Um, how frequently do y'all do like like a group chapter meeting, if at all? Uh, they happen once a month. Uh, I haven't been to one in like three months because <laughs> I'm a really bad <laughs> member. That's definitely where like a lot of new people come in. It's yeah. usually like 100. If there's ever like a big news story that happens, sometimes we get 200 people. You know, when I first joined, my first one was the month after inauguration. Yeah. So... 200 people came easy. Like we could not fit in the room we were in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day after Charlottesville, um, the white supremacist attack in that city, yeah. um, 20 or 30 DSA members were at that. Um, that was on a Saturday. The next Sunday's meeting probably had 200, 250 people. Wow. So like that cycles in and out and we always have people joining and also fading away. But as a chapter, we don't get together more than once a month. Got it. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was wondering like what the sort of like commitment level is of these kinds of organizations, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the 
it's kind of a problem with a lot of volunteer projects, right? Where there's like a lot of people, we call them paper members, who mm-hmm. like pay dues and have a little card that says like, my card says like Allison Raybar, socialist organizer. And it has like the little DSA logo. Yeah. But like 35,000 people are not organizing. For sure. In the same way, like there's a lot of people who are registered Democrats who aren't like canvassing. Yeah. And that's always like a question. It's like, how are we getting more people activated? How are we going to get people involved? I don't know if everyone wants to be involved. That's true. You don't have to like say exactly what you do, but is your work related to this at all? Or is this, or is this kind of like your main method of being? I now work in housing law. Heard. I used to just be like a paralegal to the federal government, um, which was not at all related to DSA. Right. And then people found out I was in DSA and didn't like it. <laughs> and now I have a different job. Um, but I think this definitely has informed the kind of work I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I always thought I'd be a lawyer and I didn't really have a specific reason why or like a specific kind of law I want to do. And now I like really care about housing law. Yeah. Like this is my, going to be my life. Yeah. That's super valuable too. Like just like knowing what you fuck with and now you fuck with it and now you yeah. have like a path. That's exactly how I would describe it. <laughs> what I fuck with, how I fuck with it. <laughs> I'm, so I'm about to start a job that is like government adjacent. And yeah, I'm afraid they're going to like listen to the pod or something and like get mad. <laughs> I mean, I don't, we don't say anything. If I had to give any advice, it would be don't shout at anyone <laughs> at a protest. Bad. <laughs> um, like just directly, like don't yell at anybody. Yeah, ever. I mean, yeah, generally. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I got I got fired for protesting deportation, right? Oh, and okay. so um, I didn't know if you knew that or not. I think Isabel's laughing. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I was, like, part of the group of people that yelled at Kirsten Nielsen in a Mexican restaurant. Um, and oh, that that is wow. something about being a socialist or a communist. You know, like, I think a lot of people describe themselves as lefties and describe themselves as socialists and communists. And, like, yeah. it's very normal in our social circles maybe to hear that. And then you find out some people super are not cool with that. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to see that like shift happen. I would say it's happening generationally. I would say it's happening like income wise. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about sort of like, you know, getting involved in your own like bubble and not really like remembering that like what the status quo is. But mm-hmm. the status quo, I think, for the average American is very, still very like not social, like very anti socialist, I would say. But yeah, like we're like kicking it and talking about being a socialist or whatever. And like it's very common amongst my friend group, but. How do you guys like you were you were there at the very beginning of Stomp Out Some Lords, right? Like when it was being I was at the created? second ever meeting, so I okay. don't get to be called a founder, but yeah, oh. pretty close. Okay. Pretty close. Well, how do you guys so like, you know, there's issues that socialists care about, and then how do you guys figure out, okay, this is what we all want to do about it? Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's really the hardest part. Yeah. Right. A common question that comes up in DSA where everyone's like coming up with an idea of something you want to do, where it's like, how are we going to solve immigration? And people are like, I have all these different ideas. And something that's like, we try to ask is where's the socialism in that? What if we got together and just donated a ton of money and food to the food bank? That would be good for the world. It would feed hungry people. Is it socialism? And I think that's a debate that we're trying to have more and more in the organization. Would that be socialism? I personally don't think so. Um, okay, why? Because I don't think it's challenging the system. Oh, like, I think it would be okay. feeding hungry people, and that's awesome, mm-hmm. and I don't want people to starve, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's doing anything to combat the system that makes people hungry. Okay, got it. So the reason Stomp About Some Words is founded, like, very specifically, is that in D.C., you have to be evicted through the court system. Mm-hmm. You get a trial every time. The court system is predicated on the fact that not everyone shows up. Because if everyone showed up to their hearing, they couldn't get through all the hearings in a day. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to evict the volume of people being sued for eviction because there's like literally not enough time in the day for a judge to stamp all the eviction orders. Mm -hmm. There's 30,000-ish lawsuits filed for eviction every year in D.C. 
there's only 700,000 residents. Yeah. So like it's it's not physically possible. So Sambat Sambat's model was literally like, we have to get people to show up to court. It does not matter if they win their case. It doesn't matter if their case happens that day. We're just trying to slow down the machine and show that it's broken. Mm-hmm. And so that was the idea of like socialism is going to be challenging the actual system mm-hmm. of the like the machine that's making this happen. And hopefully they'll have to change the machine. And you get a public defender for an eviction trial, right? Like you um, No, one? you don't. You don't. There's now like three cities that guarantee a public defender the way oh. that you'd have for a criminal trial. San Francisco, Philly, and New York is about to implement it. Yeah. All of those were passed in the last two years. So... That's like a significant a significant cost barrier then. Yes, exactly. 95% of landlords have attorneys. 95% of tenants don't have attorneys. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like we don't want – we want to give every tenant an attorney, like obviously. For sure. But we also want to stop the number of lawsuits being filed. Yeah. And we want to stop this like sort of terror that is I'm going to lose yeah. my housing so I can't speak up. So in DSA, there's not like an official way that we pick work to do. The rule in DC is that if you have five people – who want to do a project, you can do it. You don't need approval. You have to ask for money. But like five people, go for it. You have access to chapter resources. And sometimes that results in projects that I don't particularly like. There's a lot of people who really don't like some of some lords and don't think that what we're doing is socialism. But I think we're kind of trying to be like a laboratory to figure out what works and what doesn't. Well, how does what is the intended mechanism behind like, okay, if you get more and more people to show up to court, how would that stop there being more of those like trials? So the court literally wouldn't be able to have the hearings all day. So yeah. they'd have to delay them to the next day. Mm-hmm. So if there's a hundred scheduled for a day, if 50 of them don't show up, you can probably get through the other 50 by like going through the trial really, really quickly yeah. and just saying, okay, you're going to settle. You're going to settle. You're going to mediate. You're going to done, done, done. If all 100 people show up, they're going to have to delay 50 of those cases the next day. Mm-hmm. That delays 50 cases to the next day. Like it becomes this domino effect yeah. where they just can't schedule enough of them. And also it makes it much more expensive for the landlords who have to pay their attorneys. Mm-hmm. They're not going to want to drop tens of thousands of dollars on their attorney time because normally it's going to cost them a couple hours of attorney time. So it's like $1,000. Attorneys cost like four to $500 an hour mm-hmm. plus $26 for a filing fee. We wanted to make that cost tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to also make the landlords scared to file it. Okay. So it would basically be like it would the landlords themselves would be the source of like, you know, fewer and fewer of these cases yeah. ideally. So like if And we would delay evictions long enough where people would not have an eviction on their record. There they might be able to find time to move out. They might be able to find the money to pay off the couple hundred dollars they owe in back rent. Yeah. In in my law firm, we say like a delay is a win. Mm-hmm. Like every day you push eviction down the line is a win. Mm-hmm. And that's what we wanted to do. We just wanted to keep pushing it down the line. You know, if they start getting so many cases, is there some kind of cap or like some like literal administrative way to figure out like how to, you know, deal with having so many cases? So they could only schedule a certain amount per day and mm-hmm. you could only schedule things a certain amount of months in advance. Mm-hmm. So if like the court fills up, it's filled up. So like that is part of it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Like, in theory, if the court was too full, a landlord could go to try a file, like, an eviction, and they'd be like, sorry, dude, we can't. We they can't would say, like, now. you'll have a hearing in 11 months. <laughs> and the, the landlord might be like, oh, I guess I'm not going to be able to, like, evict this person. Yeah. Like, it is physically not worth my time mm-hmm. to, like, pay an attorney now and, like, show up again in 11 months. Yeah. So is the hope that, um, so you could, you break the system, and then is the hope that, um like policymakers or like decision makers see this and then try to reform the system. Then try to fix it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea called disruptive dissensus where like you're disrupting the system and it becomes so dysfunctional 
the lawmakers that govern it like have to step in because the judges are going to be really mad and the clerks are going to be really mad and the rich people go to court are going to be really mad. I will say we really, this was like a huge product idea. We were so excited about it. We couldn't get enough people to show up at court to make it work because there's 30,000 evictions happening in the city and we could not physically knock on all their doors. Got it. So what we've tried to do is the same idea of like disrupting the system just functioning every day, Mm -hmm. like stopping the, the gears from turning, but we've done it on a building level. So we've been organizing tenants associations and tenant unions to try and do that same sort of like disruption and like basically like fuck a landlord's day up. Yeah. Just not the court system. Damn. So like, yeah, what's been your experience just being an organizer in this way? Like what's, what's somebody like, what's gratifying, what's challenging? I mean, I think the good part of being an organizer is that like you have wins, right? Like you feel like you are making a difference because of something that you did. It's not like I knocked on so many doors and I register people to vote and then like someone won an election a year later because of something I did in a building, I stopped an eviction or I got a management company fired or I got a settlement for these people or like I just I taught people how to advocate for themselves like that feels really good. And I think there's like a lot of value in like recognizing your power. I think the challenge of that is that like you feel really personally responsible a lot of the time. Um, like you get really invested and it's like hard to feel like you are losing and it's like going to be on your shoulders. And it's really hard to like talk to people about politics all day. Like there's 35,000 people in DSA and none of us agree with each other. And it can be really exhausting to feel like you're arguing with people all day in and out when they're supposed to be the people who like agree with you the most. You get at a really interesting point, which is like this sort of like, yeah, division and the infighting within like the left space. Yeah. Do you think that conversations like that, like amongst the left, sort of are like dividing our resources and like making us weaker? Or do you think that they're they're worthwhile to have to figure out where the differences are and where people fall? I'm a big advocate in picking your battles. Like, I don't think it's important to debate whether we call ourselves socialists or democratic socialists. Mm -hmm. There was literally an argument leading up to our national convention about whether we should like rename the organization. Yeah. Just like socialists of America. Yes. Well, SA is already taken as a thing, but it's like, do we even want to reference the fact that we're in America because America is like an imperialist project and we shouldn't support America existing. Yeah. Yeah. It's all made a face. Like that's, it opens up like so many doors, right? That meant a lot of some people. And I don't want to be like, pick your battles, ignore that, whatever. But also, yeah, I think like infighting is really good when it clarifies what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Like it's good that we have arguments about like, is this project socialist or not? Because it's like going to dictate where we have our resources put. But it's also like, I am so tired of having like the same arguments at Bernie like in, day in and day out. Because I don't <laughs> think it's like moving us anywhere. And that can get really frustrating. Do you agree with that saying that's like, okay, like if you walk by like a homeless person or whatever, like the liberal would say, oh, like the system is broken, right? As opposed to like the leftist who'd be like, oh, the system is working. Do you feel like that general <laughs> paradigm is applicable? Did one of my DSA friends like tell that to you? That was Jay. <laughs> actually. Yeah, okay, it was Jay. Our yeah, we have friend. a well, yeah our mutual friend. Um, Isabel Denai's former roommate would always go up when I brought like, DSA people to parties. Yeah, she'd be like, "What's the difference between a liberal and a leftist?" Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Like, yeah. And it's a really good question. I I think it depends on the liberal and the leftist. I I think that's generally true. Like I think my criticism of liberalism is that it sees like just the end result and is like. Oh, if we just like removed corruption, no one would be homeless, mm-hmm. even though like our system is predicated on making people homeless so people can get richer. Mm-hmm. I think that's generally true. But I also think that changes generationally to like reference why this podcast exists, right? A lot of people our age would be like, fuck student debt. It shouldn't exist. It exists because yeah. you guys got greedy and are making us take out loans. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would say that even who 
aren't socialists. So I think it doesn't always hold true. And I think a lot of liberals are like taking on these ideas and embracing them. Yeah. Because like a lot of young liberals are in debt. Well, I'm, the, I'm trying to think of it in the lens of like, you know, the work that you're doing, right? Because yeah. it does sound like actually like it's, we actually do have good laws here. It's just about trying to enforce those laws. Yeah. Right? So that sounds like the system is working type of thing. I think that's true up until it's like, how much can the system do for you? Mm -hmm. So like, if your landlord illegally evicts you, mm -hmm. your only choice is to go to court and hope the court agrees with you. And even then, like, the most they might be able to do is give you some money. Yeah. So I think it's very much a leftist would agree the parts of the system are broken and not working well, but even like the best functioning system, like we got everything we wanted on paper and we implemented it perfectly is not going to be enough. And if we are still in this capitalist system, what do you think is the ideal system for, especially like for housing in particular? For, oh, sorry, for housing in particular, housing should not be a commodity. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be something that we buy, sell and trade to make money off of. Everyone should have a house. That is what I think the ideal system is. How we get there is like a much more complicated question. Mm -hmm. I think that's the same for healthcare. Like yeah. healthcare should just be like something that we give to people mm -hmm. and they get it and like, we'll figure out how to pay for it. But like we, just, it shouldn't be something that you make money off of. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think those answers are easier. I think the answer about like how the government is structured in order to ensure that is a lot more complicated. Yeah. yeah. Well, in terms of like what is actually achievable in maybe like the short term as opposed to having to have this huge kind of structural change. Yeah. What do you think is the best system that we could have given kind of where we are now, say in the next like five or 10 years, like kind of the near term, right? Without the downfall of capitalism. That's a good, that's a good question. So like we, we call that harm reduction mm -hmm. where like you're trying to just like minimize what people could do wrong yeah. up until we can have like a revolution that like, you know, puts in a new economic system in place. I think a lot of that is like just cause eviction, rent control, and then also like remaking the healthcare system to like get rid of private insurance. Mm -hmm. So like taking out the sort of worst monetary incentives mm -hmm. and like putting a cap on how much money people can extract. Yeah. And then we'll fix the system. And like... For me, I feel like I'm really passionate about like, yeah, and like and, and putting in or implementing a really stable and aggressive baseline for what people like have to yes. have, like a house, for example. I think that um, housing is interesting in that like, yeah, I agree, like it shouldn't be an, a, it shouldn't be a commodity. I wonder to myself whether like people should be able to like spend resources to like upscale and like quality of home mm -hmm. because so and like it differs from healthcare to me in that way because like I fundamentally disagree that there should be like differences in quality of healthcare. You either like get chemo or you don't. You're not yeah, getting like, like grade A chemo, chemo and then like extra fancy Yeah, chemo. like there shouldn't be like someone getting like better drugs, or, you know, yeah. or like people deserve to be healthy or to be able to like pursue better health, right? Like and I don't and I don't think that um how much resources you have should dictate that. I do wonder um, yeah, like I think that I think that people should be able to like have a house and also like be able to upscale. But I'm, you know, I I don't know how like. I mean, that gets to a question. It's like is, under you know? socialism, like we'll all get a house, but will like some people get to have pools? Yeah, right. You know? Is that kind of like? Yeah, and like, and like, I don't care that some people have yachts. I care that people are homeless. You mm -hmm. know, and like, I think that people that have yachts. Like, if it means that if you're fucking over people to get your yacht, you shouldn't have a yacht, right? Mm -hmm. um, but my problem isn't the fact that people have the yacht. But, yeah, and I, I guess since since we had, like, Kevin on the podcast, I've, I've been, like, thinking critically about the different ways that, like, socialism could take shape in a society. And one of the ways that he was talking about was, like, ensuring everyone has a baseline 
and then like money would still exist to like upscale from the baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, that was something that like I think you tweeted this like a couple weeks ago, and I might be I probably will remember it wrong but right so <laughs> don't hold me to opinions i had two weeks ago okay so <laughs> what was it <laughs> there's a truth about like you know the, what we were talking about on this previous podcast was you know andrew yang's ubi thousand dollars like freedom dividend whatever yeah. right and then you i think had a tweet that was like oh well landlords will just like raise the rent yang. by a thousand dollars right so like yeah i'm curious to hear your thoughts around like is that something that you think is actually viable if we just gave people money right because that is a good point I, I think like the greatest well welfare system is like handing people cash. Like you it's do. so yeah. inefficient that we like do all these subsidies. Instead of like giving people vouchers for homes, you should just like give them a house. Like stop making it this like weird bureaucratic process. Like I was on unemployment and I was on Medicaid and it took so much more work than like going to my office and doing a day's work did like trying to be enrolled in Medicaid. It took me like three to four days mm-hmm. and I had like a college degree and literally nothing else to do with my day. Mm-hmm. Like those systems are very inefficient. I think some problems with UBI is that like, are we getting rid of all the other safety nets and like just giving people money? And it's like, sometimes they won't be able to pick up the money. Sometimes they won't be able to spend it. Sometimes everything will get more expensive. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it seems like he feels like the answer to that question is yes, as it relates to like, yeah. should we give up other programs? Yeah, his big thing is, like, if you're getting, like, SSI, like, everyone should just get, like, flat cash and no one gets, like, more benefits. But, like, Social Security Disability gives you about $700 a month. And so, like, if you got the UBI, you'd only be getting $300 extra a month. You'd still be dirt poor. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a big debate in social circles about, like, whether UBI would work. And I don't have strong feelings on it yet. But I think there is a problem of, like, just flooding cash into the system where you still have to, like, buy so much stuff to survive is yeah. not going to be quite enough. Because we know what flooding cash into a capital system does. Right. It just like inflation happens and then we're just we are where we started. Yeah. If I had to define what socialism was, which would be really difficult, I would say like basically anyone who calls themselves a socialist thinks there should be like a baseline of like things we provide for humans. And it probably looks like homes, healthcare, fair work, safety. Yeah. Like those are sort of like things that we agree everyone should get. And there's a lot of arguments about like how to make that happen or whether it's not. But I think you can tell the difference between a socialist and someone who's like a liberal or a neoliberal or conservative or someone else because they would like say, no, I don't want to give someone that. That's not something we should guarantee. So like when you were trying, obviously there's like so many of those baseline issues, right? Mm-hmm. To work through. Why did you pick housing as like the thing to advocate for in particular as opposed to like healthcare or food or whatever? Yeah, so I mostly picked it because that was, like, what I thought the cool project in D.C. was. Like, Mm -hmm. I went – I'd been in D.C. DSA for three, four months, and we had a lot of meetings, and we were talking about a lot of different projects to do, and I went to a housing meeting, and this guy who was a professional tenant organizer was like, here's the project, here's how we think it's going to work. And I was like, oh, I can, like, see how I would fit into that. I can see how I would be useful, and I can see how I see it working. Mm -hmm. I I can – tell what the outcome is going to be. I think we can get there. I'm going to put all my time into it. So I think like when I moved to New York and stay in DSA, I, they also have like a killer housing team. So I'd want to be a part of it. But if I'm in another chapter, it might be Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. But in another chapter, it might be paid sick leave or sex work decriminalization. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is just like based on what I thought me as Allison could do today. That's useful than like what I thought the number one issue in the world is. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like for so many people, it's so hard to not be overwhelmed with like, oh, my God, there's so many issues. There's like the environment. There's like homelessness. There's whatever. Right. And I feel like that can actually 
end up just resulting in a lot of inaction because you're just so overwhelmed with so many different things that you could be doing. Yeah. Right? Or you're like half-assed doing 20 things. Like when yeah. I first joined DSA, I was going like four or five times a week, but I wasn't like getting anything done. Mm-hmm. I was just like showing up mm-hmm. and then not being productive, not following up, not you know sending my emails or scheduling things. And I feel like you have to like focus in on your issue. Do you feel like you have given up anything in terms of like social time or whatever like an exchange for being such a big part of dsa my life looks totally different like the people i hang out with my primary social circle are people i met on the left in dsa who are still in dsa who have quit dsa who refused to join dsa like that's a part of my social that's a basically all my social circle so i think i gave up seeing my like quote unquote normal friends but i also think it's because like i have all these friends who like share my values and want to do all this stuff with me yeah And I think that that's also why people join. Like if you are new to a city and you don't have, you don't know how to find people and you're just like on dating apps all the time and your only friends are your coworkers, (laughs) like it's so alienating. Like I remember being single in DC and like living alone in DC and I had like nothing to do with my time and it made me feel so alone. And I like don't, I don't feel alone for that reason because I have this organization yeah. and I'll have this organization in any state I go to. DC is, I feel like is so weird in that like you get here and you at least I f- feel like I shared the experience of feeling just like aggressively isolated. And then all of a sudden every single day of my week was taken up by something. Yeah. I wish I had the free time I had like before because <laughs> I had like a job <laughs> offer, but I didn't have clearance to work yet. So I was like totally free, oh, but also not shit, anxious. Man. I miss it so much. I just submitted my clearance paperwork today. Oh we'll see what happens. Oh, well, hopefully right. they don't listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I think that like alienation is really common, especially when young people move between cities and are like graduating school or like leaving their families. And I think, of course, there's like a civic organization that's popping up. Mm-hmm. We don't have bowling leagues anymore. So we're all joining socialist organizations. Well, literally when you describe <laughs> it, it almost sounds like religion too, because it's, you're like, we oh, I have in one in a Quaker every meeting house yeah, and literally. we sing a song at the end of meetings. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, cause that is something that, you know, like my parents have always felt like, oh, we're, we don't, we're really missing out on this, like, you know, community because we are, you know, secular and we don't have that connection to mm-hmm. like a religious community. And that's such a foundational piece of the way Americans socialize with each other. I grew up like in the Catholic church and the Presbyterian church. And yeah, this is like, I used to go to church three or four times a week and now I go to DSA. Like it's not, it's like exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's literally nothing different. Um, <laughs> there was uh, some DSA inside baseball here. This like academic wrote a blog called the left is not a church. And it's about how we like can't be puritanical about our values. And we have to be okay with like people who are against abortion or like use slurs or whatever. It was a really bad blog. But, but like, do you disagree? I also? disagree with all of those things. Yes. Um. I I also particularly disagree with this idea that the left isn't a church because it's like a lot of lapsed Catholics, a lot of people who are like were born Jewish and feel really alienated from like the larger Jewish community because of Israel and America. Like I feel like there's a lot of these people who are looking for that connection and specifically can't find it in other places. So they've come to DSA. So basically, we should title this episode "The Left Is a Church." The Left Is a Church. There was um, there was a party at the DSA convention at a, a karaoke bar that was like themed like a church, and it was called "The Left Is a Church." Oh wow! Okay. It's a solid joke. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, but now it's taken. So. It is taken. I did, uh, one DSA person would see the title of this podcast and be like, "Oh, they know what they're talking about." <laughs> <laughs> so, Isabel, I am curious as to like after we have recorded these two socialist episodes, like where you fall. Are you a socialist now? On a scale of like one to ten. Yeah. Ten being the most socialist? <laughs> like 
or ten being, like ten being the most. I don't even know if Kevin's ten. You know. Or, or I, I mean, I, I don't. Know. I don't. I don't like would you say you're ten? I have no idea what I am. I don't right? know. Um, <laughs> I yeah, like how how sympathetic are you to socialist ideas? I would definitely say that I am between like, you know, six and seven. I don't know what 10 really means because there's such a different right definition. You know what I mean? Neither do I. So (laughs) I think it really is not necessarily like linear in that way, right? One of those like, you know, those like weird Vox charts that they do where it's like a hexagon and like eight points. Like, I mean, if you were trying to like, you know, plot how socialist everyone in DSA was, right? You would need like 14 axes. I I agree with all of like the issues of like, you know, like healthcare, housing, food, whatever, right? I think that for me, I think that the biggest, like in terms of being most likely to succeed and also actually having like the most impact in terms of um, helping people get to a point of financial stability for me would be healthcare. Just because I feel like even if you are middle class, I feel like that's like the main thing that you worry about on a daily basis as being the the barrier between you and financial stability is you're mm-hmm. like, oh shit, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and then have to pay millions of dollars and my insurance won't cover it, you know? I thought of something. So when you're organizing a union, you rate people one to five, where five is like would actively oppose the union and snitch out to your boss. And one is like actively going to help the union. Two is like a little invested. And three is like, I don't really care. I'll vote with the majority. So I think that's a good way to gauge people on social. Like, would you actively oppose the project? Would you help the project be created? Or are you like, I don't know. Yeah. I would definitely say on that scale, then I would be like, I would definitely help. So I guess that's like five or whatever, right? One, one's the good one. Oh, one is one good. One or two. Okay. Yeah, okay, where you want to sure. help. Yeah. Sure. Bye's sure. Bad. But like, I'm not doing any of that stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess that dip, it's like, is it an ideological scale or is it an action scale? Mm. You know what I mean? So like, you're probably like a two in practice. Yeah. Like yeah. I've been an organizer. Like if I was organizing you, I'd be like, this spells a, a two, three. Damn. I'm happy you consider yourself a one, though. That's great. Where would you put yourself? I'm definitely, like, ideologically a one. I think just because I'm not doing anything like a two or a three. But I think that I would be, like, easily wrangled to start doing something, I think. But that's the thing I think with a lot of these causes is people are waiting to be wrangled. But the whole point is that you have to, like, <laughs> take some fucking initiative, right? It's also, like, so hard to wrangle people. Like, it's so funny. Yeah. I've been trying to send an email for, like, three weeks. And I just haven't been able to do it. <laughs> so no one's being wrangled. Writing emails is so hard. It's so hard. Do you? I bet you don't fucking spend a lot of time writing emails. Well, I mean, I think that, A, people are talking about it. All these articles about, like, millennial burnout and stuff. You know? Like, people are. That is very invoked to complain about writing emails. Yeah, let me complain about that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um but i love writing emails your brain is so like uncluttered by anxiety (laughs) man i hate isabel so much like i think this is why we're good podcast hosts because i just don't like her it's so important to have conflict yeah (laughs) i just think you're so wrong on so many things yeah but it's totally one-sided i have nothing against you at all (laughs) uncluttered (laughs) Isabel's fine (laughs) I think that's a good place to wrap
Allison, thank you so much. Um, you're a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for talking to me about socialism. Yeah, dude. Uh, is there, I mean, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, I mean, if you're interested in DSA, you can go to dsausa.org. That's that's the website address. <laughs> Don't know why it's that. It's dsausa.org. <laughs> that's all I got. Democratic Socialists of America, United, United States, States of America. America. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. I will. I think we will all admit it's not a great website. It's not a great Maybe website. Maybe we'll fix it in a couple of years. It's not a great website. But you can check it out. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, thanks everyone for listening if you heard something that you liked or you didn't like let us know via Instagram or Twitter or our Gmail account all of which are I'm the villain pod I'm the villain pod Allison thank you again thank you <laughs> bye <laughs>